Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver a world-class customer service to your guests, along with a better buying experience, more customization, and peace of mind for ticket purchases when on-sale dates are happening earlier and earlier. Visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. While you're there, make sure you check out the blog. Currently on the blog, we have a 10-part series of trends that are impacting the live event space. Each piece covers a specific topic. It talks about the challenge, talks how it's manifesting in your business, and then some actions that you can take to mitigate that now. That's also available at bookingprotect.com and just look for the blog. You'll also be able to find me and Booking Protect CEO Simon Mab at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Sydney, Australia on November 14th and 15th. Once again, that's the Ticketing Professionals Conference of Australia in Sydney on the 14th and 15th of November. I'm going to be giving the opening keynote on change and innovation. It's going to be fantastic. Simon is going to be talking about customer service. And we're going to be floating around in the trade show. We're going to be doing all kinds of great stuff. Um, So if you want to connect with me or Simon, make sure you send us an email. Simon's simon.mab. M-A-B-B at bookingprotect.com and I'm Dave at DaveWakeman.com. As an added bonus, if you go and buy your tickets today to the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Sydney, send me an email, Dave at DaveWakeman.com and I will do something special for you and your team. It could be a uh, special coaching call. It could be a webinar. um, It could be anything. It depends on how many tickets you buy and how crazy I feel like getting. You can get those tickets by visiting the website of the conference it's www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au i'll give it to you one more time it's www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au so get your tickets today send me an email david and we'll do something special for you my guest today is ben newton from the melbourne racing club and I wanted to have Ben on mainly because he challenged me, right? He said, oh, I'm not like, on the, I'm in ticket operations. What possibly could your audience learn? And actually, you're going to learn a lot because we actually had a really nice conversation about how his background um, helps him now in ticket operations. We talked about uh, how he manages change and innovation because that's a big part of the job he does. Uh, we talked about um, a big part of what Ben does now, too, is he manages external events for the organization. Uh, we talked about how he manages processes. We talked about, um, you know, getting people to buy in. We talked about the power of trial and error we talked about um really a lot of stuff and then at the end we got into like some really fun stuff around australian baseball league uh, american baseball and brands um you know this one talks about starbucks he talks about a friend of the pod a friend of mine jesse cole from the savannah bananas uh we even did a little challenge on our favorite uh brands and logos um so it's a lot of fun a great episode of the business of fun uh so without any more from me let's get to it i want to welcome my friend ben newton from the melbourne racing club to the business fun podcast ben did i say that right yeah it's pretty yeah pretty close it's oh, good pretty close well done. you'll get you'll forgive my american my dirty american accent absolutely <laughs> <laughs> oh man hey so i appreciate you doing this because you know you told me when we were back chatting back and forth about this, that you had nothing to talk or you were worried you would have nothing to talk about because you're in ticket operations now. And I said, don't worry, I will make you look like a superstar. So here we go. Um, first off, and, and that's all kidding aside, I wanted to have you on because I think that you have a, a very varied background. And I think that that's one of the things that really adds um, a great deal of flavor to your career. And I think it probably helps you in the role you 
you feel now because I know from my own experience that having a varied background has been very useful, right? I, there's n- uh, always new marketing things that I see, but the thing is, is like the way you can apply things from all over the places, it, it, it's, it's interesting and it gives you different insights. That said, me out of the way, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up being in ticket operations now? And how you pulled all that stuff together to make this possible. Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me to begin with. Um, going back, I mean, I, I studied film and television at university and did a little bit of work in uh, as in TV production, video editing, that sort of stuff. So it was sort of a, a marketing start. Uh, from there, moved into graphic design, uh, web design, uh, you know, worked with a, a couple of studios, then started my own business. I learned a bit about that. Um, which you know ended up uh, closing the business down a couple of years later, and obviously learned you learned a huge amount from a failed business, obviously. Um, and then uh, w- once I finished there, I, I started at the Melbourne Racing Club. So that was as a digital producer, which is looking after all the websites that we had, um, which started off as about uh, I'd say three or four websites. And by the time I'd, I'd sort of moved into ticket operations, it'd gotten to about uh, ten or eleven. Uh, that's due to having you know new events and lots of new properties going on. Um, and yeah, so as, while I was doing a bit of the, this digital production stuff, uh, the Melbourne Racing Club decided uh, they wanted to, well, that, as part of that diversification strategy, they wanted to uh, bring a ticket business under, I guess, the umbrella of the Melbourne Racing Club. So obviously we, ha- we had, uh, we've got three venues, sorry, three race courses under, our, uh, under the umbrella. And they thought, well, if we can uh, obviously do tickets for ourselves, we can maybe, you know, do good tickets for, or sorry, sell tickets for uh, events that come on and hire, you know, do venue hire with those three race courses and then potentially use it similar to like a, you know, becoming like our own, uh, I guess, ticket tech or ticket master and, and sell tickets for events that are not at our venues as well. So that was a, you know, obviously it's something fairly different for a racing club to take on, but um, they were diversifying at the time and, and they still are. You know, I've uh, got a French bakery. We've got, uh, you know, a French bakery franchise, I should say. There's, um, you know, about 13 um, sort of uh, family restaurants. There's a few other things going on, uh, which is all quite unusual in the Australian sporting landscape. And uh, as part of that, uh, the, the push for ticketing, they um, they, they uh, bought into uh, a business called Ticket Source, which is uh, San Diego-based. Um, and that source is in, uh, let's say, tomato sauce or barbecue sauce as opposed to the source of all tickets. And what they did was the ticket source, they, they have a white-labeled solution. So what they do is it looks like it's us, but, but the obviously the technology behind that and the client support behind that is through ticket source. Um, at the time, I was, I was doing digital production websites and the head of marketing at the time who, who was pretty pivotal in bringing about ticket source being a part of the Melbourne Racing Club, uh, he said, oh, you do websites? Well, I guess you can probably do some online ticketing as well. I said, oh, okay, I guess. I've n- I'd never done anything to do with ticketing in my life and suddenly I was uh, setting up uh, ticketed events. Uh, with no, There was no ticketing manager at the time uh, and just trying to manage that as best I could. So, uh, you know, fast forward a couple of years, they got in, they got in a new t- ticketing manager for the first time. Um, they, they left after a, a few short months. I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. I'd never, I'd never done ticketing before, as I said, and uh, I thought, well, I'd been doing the digital ticketing. I hadn't done a huge amount of the other stuff, um, but I thought I'll give it a go and 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 see how we how we go. So, I guess one of the reasons why I was fascinated by, I guess, ticket sales and, and ticket operations is um, we're running all these events, and you're seeing, I guess, the the sales curves and all this sort of stuff. And I just really, I'm really fascinated by what helps to create a, a sold out event. Um, and what you know? What are some of the failures we can learn from? Um, what are some of those levers that can that can be pushed to actually make an event uh, a sold out event? Which is obviously, as as you know, is a is a really rare thing to get a sold out event. But I've been really lucky that we've had a couple of uh, sellouts um, with some of the events we've had. So that's been uh, yeah, it's been some failures and there's been some successes. So yeah, been le- learned a lot from all of that, and uh, that's sort of how I am where I am today. Yeah, uh, and levers to push to 
create a sellout. That's uh, sort of my that's my whole gig. Uh, so you summed it up in a nu- <laughs> summed it up in a nutshell. Uh, but there's two things that you brought up that I'm pretty interested about. Which is the first is you started a business and you mentioned it in passing, and it's it's relevant to the talk I'll give in Sydney in November, and it's relevant probably to pretty much everything I think everybody should take away from you know not just this podcast but everything I talk about, which is like you talked about starting the business and then learning more from failure. And I can say from having been involved in a number of businesses that I absolutely learn more from failing than I did from being a success. Um, yeah. You know, like uh, I would put 10 times as far as that goes. But the other thing, which I think is probably would be interesting to hear a little bit about is that when you took over the role of being in charge of ticketing operations, you, you had really no ex- experience. You'd done the, t- the digital ticketing, but you hadn't. And when you did that, you really didn't have a background in it. The interesting thing to me is that a lot of times we feel wed to the way things have always been done. And because you didn't have that as a uh, crutch to lean on or something to fall back on, I'd be interested in uh, learning how you uh, how you went about learning to be a ticket operations person. Because you didn't necessarily have a background in it, so you kind of, for good and bad, you didn't have any of the old things you were wed to, but at the same time you had to figure out a lot all in a short period of time. You know, how was your approach to taking on this new role? It's a good question. There was, to be honest, there's been a lot of trial and error. I mean, I don't have, I guess, the background of working up from becoming, you know, being a junior and, and having a system, all these systems in place. So as, as I said, there was a ticketing manager who started, you know, who was there for about five months or so before I, I became the ticketing manager. And um, previous to that, there was literally just uh, – Everyone would sort of do their part. It was just a – there was no central person with accountability on ticketing. So let's say the marketing would do their part. The IT team would do their part, etc. cetera. Um, so there's not really been any systems or process in, in place that we can really say, oh, it has to be done this way. So – which is a bit of it's, – it's a bit of a blessing and a curse. So it means you, you can't come in and just sort of like, oh, yeah, this is how it's done. It's literally almost everything's up for question and up for change all the time. Uh, we've had new processes, new – I guess business systems come in in the last few years as well. So whether that's you know a CRM system and and whatnot, um, as along with the changes that uh, the ticket source have made when they make updates as well. So uh, as far as a process, it's been um, there's been a lot of un- un- uncovering stuff. So there's let's say there's ticket types that I'm, that someone might say, oh um, oh yeah, we did that two years ago, and that's what those things are. And you go, okay, that's that's great, and you sort of just Almost every every couple of weeks, there's something you go, oh, I I, I didn't know about that because it was sort of hiding in someone's bucket that they were doing. They've always been doing it for the last five years, but they just they didn't didn't think to tell you about it just because they've been doing it. So it's a it's a really unique situation. Um, I really like the situation it, uh, in terms of being able to make a a difference and also an improvement. Um, and we've 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 got some uh, some ways to go, and yeah, I'm really excited about where it's going to go. Well, let, let me, um, you know, and I want to ask this. I don't know exactly if I'm going to ask this the right way, but you know, looking at it from a th- from an idea of everybody was doing their their part, right? And none of it was kind of under the umbrella of you know one person kind of managing the entire process. How difficult is it to get people to buy into the change that you're you're trying to create to this need for processes and you know this focus on um, kind of systemizing some of the things you do? Well, to begin with, I think there's there's not a huge amount of pushback, especially when you say, "Hey, you know that thing you've been doing for for five years? It's not really a part of your role, but someone sort of tacked it in there. Uh, I'm going to take that off you." They sort of go, "Oh, thank you." <laughs> that's, that's the first thing they, they <laughs> well, say. Well, that helps. Um, they, they, <laughs> no they, doubt, they're quite grateful. But but obviously, there are times when you know we're still working together. Uh, as they're a stakeholder in, uh, in what I do, and I'm a bit of stakeholder in what they do. Um, yeah, there has been a little bit of pushback. I mean, we've we're, we're trying to move. Uh, away from printed tickets uh, or pre-printed tickets um, with pre pre-assigned, let's say, barcode ranges to um, digitised tickets, and and you know, sort of having more of a one-to-one uh, relationship, and uh, with our with our CRM system, so that we know that if someone buys a ticket, they scan it in, and we can see that they have attended a race day, for instance. Um, there's a lot of work in there, and uh, in terms of a, a technological piece, but there's also some work we need to do from our operations. Um, Internally to make that happen, and uh, 
there's a bit of a there's a bit of a debate, I guess, that that when it comes to things like our pre- most premium tickets, let's say our corporate suite tickets, or on on our largest race days, we have um, some corporate marquees that uh, that these people want to have a really nice box and a really nice ticket, um, and that's and then and and digital digitizing that will will lose some of that experience. Um, now the debate that I've uh, that I I've seen is probably more that. Uh, you know, the person that's actually receiving these tickets is probably a, uh, let's say, an executive assistant, so someone who's not really going to be marketing for us to go, or you know, for them to come back next year anyway. It's going to be up to the that uh, the person who's above them, or the person who's made that decision to actually go in the first place. Um, so the actual unboxing experience may not actually be happening by the person who's the decision maker. So, as I said, because we're sort of starting not from scratch, but like. There's not a huge amount of, uh, I guess, ticketing experience from this perspective of, of changing from a a non-digital ticketing platform to a ticketing platform, a digital ticketing platform. So that's probably where there's been the major pushback. Right. Um, and over the next couple of, uh, probably the next year and a year and a half is probably, for me, is a big project about how we digitize uh, a lot of our tickets to save us uh, money and also to improve our operations, uh, save us time, et cetera. Yeah. Well, you, you said you brought up an interesting point too, which is like you say, and oh, the most premium tickets they want, they want a nice ticket, they want a nice suite, they want everything. And see, I would probably go that in most cases, those are the people who are least enticed by the the nice ticket. I would say it's more of the you know regular ticket buyer who is more enticed and more likely to have that emotional touch point with the ticket. Um, I know it's not a hundred percent either way. Um, you know, so that, that's interesting that that's like kind of the the comments and the feedback you're getting. Okay, so let me ask you then about an overall like theme of change and innovation, because a lot of what I'm hearing is that it seems that throughout all these different roles that have kind of been leading up to the role you have now is that you've become adept and comfortable with changing and change. And to a certain extent, it does sound like a lot like you're leading innovation and that you have an eye towards that. Do you have sort of a theory of how you manage or deal with change and innovation or is it sort of, or any kind of, you know, touchstones or, processes that you think through when you're going through a big project or a big change or innovation, like some of the things you've been dealing with? I think uh, it's probably similar to a lot of other people. You have a you know, discovery phase um, where you're asking all the necessary stakeholders about what, you know, what, what are some of the problems they're facing? Um, you know, what are some of the problems our customers are facing? Um, and that was one of the, it's one of the big, uh, things that we're doing with our uh, digitization project is uh, we're saying this this process here we're getting people calling up saying where are my tickets because we've got to we're actually sending them tickets in the mail or and we're saying that's not a good that's not a good experience um, where and, and it's part of the I said the discovery phase and then we move to I guess a a recommendations phase and then start to work that through with with all the stakeholders and then through to implementation then and then uh feedback so i guess that the loop continues so that's sort of what, what i work towards uh, at the moment we're in a massive discovery phase with our um with our digitization project um, as it's the, as it's at the very beginning of it and uh you know as we go go forward it's going to be really exciting to see you know what sort of changes we'll be able to make to improve the customer's experience um this is one of the i guess it's sort of one of my kpis you know, it's not as, as measurable as such, but to to improve how people get in and uh, and to our, our, into our venues and into our events, uh, because we don't want people calling us up and saying, "Oh, hey, I, I bought this thing," you know, uh, last week. Uh, the event is next week. Have I, got my, I haven't got my tickets yet. I'm stressing out. Um, and uh, on top of you know the multiple other uh, benefits of digital ticketing, uh, that's probably some of the main ones. Well, let me ask you this too, because you gave out, you know, you have a process, discovery, recommendations, implementation, and feedback. How often are you going through that process? You know, because one challenge a lot of organizations deal with is the fact that, right, we, we go, oh my God, we've got this point of pain, or we have this big change or innovation we want to, we want it to occur in the business. 
they do it. It becomes successful, but then they just like set it and forget it, right? In America, we had this, uh, I think it was Ron Pompey, and he had this uh, rotisserie chicken roaster, and it was set it and forget it. Uh, yeah. People set it and forget it, right? Um, yeah. You know, how do you encourage the process to continue over and over and over again so that some of those pain points don't just pop up in a different way after a couple of months? That's a good question. We, um, we've actually got a pretty good culture of innovation at the Melbourne Racing Club. Only there's people obviously always come up with different ideas about uh, ways that they feel they could, you know, things could be improved. As I said, with when it comes to events, and we have uh, across our three race courses about 70 race days a year. Uh, about half of those are ticketed. So there's a lot of feeling of, you know, what can we do to improve ticket sales? Um, and that usually is where it, uh, some of these ideas flow flow from. Um, for instance, we had uh, – you know, I was just chatting with uh, our food and beverage manager and about some of the ideas that we could use ticketing to help improve his bottom line. Uh, he said, you know, is there any way we could, you know, do um, bundled ticketing, so sell some food and beverage uh, along with the tickets online? Uh, we said, okay, we'll give it a go. And uh, we uh, we had a chat with, you know, our food and beverage team, um, which is all internal, so it's not an external caterer, which, is, which we're really lucky to have. And we were able to work with TicketSource and, and, uh, and develop a way to put vouchers in there. So if you want to purchase... Uh, what's the word? A package that had that came with two free drinks and a and a bit of food. Uh, we could actually process that that online, and that was uh, and that's a bit of an innovation that we've been able to do, and that's and that's fairly constant. So it's not a massive project of I'd say digitizing all the all of our tickets. Right. It's just a small it's a small innovation, um, and it's just through constant um, I guess stakeholder engagement. So just asking people, you know what. What can we do? You know, uh, what's some of the what are some of the pain points we have? And that's a fairly ongoing thing. So we don't necessarily have a regular, let's say, catch up. But I'm I'm regularly you know catching these people in the office and saying, hey, look, is is there any way we can can we use our ticketing platform to make your life easier? Yeah, and well, let me ask you this too, because one of the I guess probably it's it's helpful, right? Because you get more uh, inputs. But at the same time, it's also probably a bit of a challenge in some regards. Is when you're managing the ticketing for external clients, you know, as um, you know, how how do you make sure that they embrace that culture of innovation the same way you do internally? Yeah, that's obviously an interesting one because you've got people like obviously coming from different backgrounds and have different expectations of let's say different ticketing platforms and what they were able to do and and whatnot. So every ticketing system has its strengths and weaknesses. Um, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to say that you know that. That ticket source is that covers absolutely everything that we need, um, and sometimes you got you got people coming into a process really late in the piece. So I ran the, the uh, I did a lot of the ticket operations for a racing club in South Australia, which is a different state to where Melbourne is. And uh, I think it was about two months before the event. We we sort of done some early ticketing work about eight months prior to the event. There was a bit of radio silence there for about six months. Uh, we heard that the uh, the manager, there's sort of just one staff member who had been uh, had been uh, let go, um, and then about two months before the event, I got this call saying, uh, "Oh, can you do these tickets for us?" And uh, from this new person I never never met before uh, in a different state, um, and uh, it was a, it's a process of having to just reteach them the software, reteach them um, how how we actually do things to get the best result for them. Um, you know, at the same time, they're they're running absolutely crazy. You know what I mean? They're just sort of they're two months away from this. They're, they're one event they have a year, um, and they're doing everything. Not just tickets, but they're sort of doing everything, uh, and they're coming in pretty cold. So, uh, you know, I try to give them as much you know hand holding as possible. Um, and uh, when it comes to I guess the processes, when it's a once a year thing, you don't it, you know processes sometimes can fly out the window a little bit. Um, and uh, but I try to make sure we keep on track so their their end goals of you know knowing you know obviously the the basics uh, and then obviously having as as accurate a picture as possible of who's actually coming to their event uh, was achieved. So yeah, yeah, it's it a tricky one that one. No, well, I mean most of these things are right. I mean everybody, I think if you are on the outside, you look at it and go like, oh my God, how how difficult can it be? You're uh, you've got 
10,000 tickets you can sell, um, you know, and you've got a certain number of people who want to buy them, and that's it. It's simple. But oh, it's, on, the, <laughs> on the inside, it's a little bit more difficult. Yeah. It's a way more complicated. Exactly actually. right. Um, and I, you, exactly. you're talking about like a once-a-year event and like the process is being thrown out the door. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, how, how many different ways can I say absolutely? Uh, that's, yeah. that's completely <laughs> true because you almost run the risk of like um, – having to relearn everything every year and that, and that creates a problem. And, you know, and I don't know how many of your events are like that where the people are doing one event a year. Um, but you know, knowing that that's a challenge, even if it's just one person, how do you help them kind of create a backbone, a spine, a a, um, sort of an outline of framework for their event so that it, allows you to not have to be there to hold, like walk them through the process every year because I mean, it slows you down. Right. And it's, it doesn't help, you know, it hurts their business. Um, you know, is that like a process that you've, you've started to think through or is that something you, you've been able to put in place? And I, and I'm asking this for completely for a, um, selfish reason because I'm dealing with that currently. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's, it's, it's funny because we have, Especially with with uh, that racing club that I was I was mentioning uh, over in South Australia, they uh, I said one, once a year they have uh, Easter racing carnival. It's there's a, there's a Saturday and a, and a Monday, and uh, people aren't there full time throughout the year. They sort of come on. Uh, there's only there's, there's only one ongoing employee for the whole year, um, so you know skeleton staff, uh, and they're trying to improve things year on year, but. What we start, what we, what I started from with, with this year was, I said, here's the report from last year about who comes into your event, when, uh, you know, where they're purchasing from, um, and this is the sales code, just to help them sort of understand where they're going to be busy, uh, what some of the pain points were as well, and some of the areas that we're going to improve on from the previous year. So that was the start, and then obviously I gave them just a bit of a tutorial on, on the software, um, so they could. You know, run things as poss- as much as possible by themselves, um, and then we we implemented a couple of uh, technical changes that meant that I did have to handhold them a little bit, but it meant that we were able to get some more accurate uh, readings uh, later on in the process. And uh, but as far as a um, having a process for that, we haven't had a huge amount of clients, and as I said, they're very different. So we've had you know we've got a blues festival, we've had uh, sort of like a a millinery fashion show there's been and, and all of them have different uh, requirements and there's probably what I what I usually try to do is just keep things obviously as simple as possible for, for the person just to, basically to say you just tell me what what you've what you what the information that you've got and we'll try to slot that into the uh, the software and into I guess the overall picture of the event um, and from there we know that what the end goal we want to have is just accurate data by the end of it to say who came, who paid, uh, you know, what was the show rate, what was the, uh, you know, what was the different split of all the different types of people that came in, and uh, and go from there. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting one because you're working with event staff and they and they often you know ticketing is only one hundredth of the things that they're working on. So. Yeah. Right. Now, in a small event, you know, people are getting, like you said before, even before, like you became the, in charge of ticketing operations. Everybody's getting pulled in five different directions because they don't have. They're not just doing one job, and so they can focus on. It. They're they've got four or five different jobs that they're focusing on, and it's it can become overwhelming for people. Exactly right. You've got to keep it keep it to I guess the, the, just the task that they need to do. So sometimes it's just having, let's say, a once-a-week meeting to say, hey, look, these are the three things we need to chat about and just getting those th- – that, that way they can get it out of their mind and focus on everything else for the week. Uh, I find that's a really positive way of doing things. Yeah. Now, I got two more things I want to ask you about before because I know that you have to get off to work today um, because it's my evening, your morning. Uh, one is I think you're a base- – you said you were mentioned you were a baseball fan. Is that right? Yeah, it's only been a fairly recent thing. About five years ago, I um, – Actually, it was about six to seven years ago. That I probably uh, not discovered uh, baseball in a way. There's there's a there's this fantastic graphic design studio that uh, called Brandio Spates in San Diego that do these crazy promotions and um, for for minor league baseball. And uh, a few of these caught my eye, and I just became obsessed with it. And I'd never I never 
picked up a baseball or a baseball bat before. It's not a huge sport in Australia. Um, so it's not a huge amount of clubs around. Uh, and it doesn't really get talked about much either. Uh, and from there, I, I um, ended up joining a local baseball club and playing it, um, you know, helping out. You know, the uh, on the club committee uh, to the point where I've actually started uh, a new club as well in the area. That's been a lot of fun too. So, um, yeah, it's yeah, if you look back seven years ago, um, had no interest in baseball to now absolutely obsessed with the sport. It's uh, it's been interesting. Well, what do you think drove that fascination and that obsession with baseball? Because this is this is interesting because I know that you know because we know each other, that baseball struggles a little bit with the attendance here, and they struggle with the attention that they get here. Um, and yet they baseball captured your imagination from thousands of miles away. You know, what was it about the game? Um, there's something about the, the mixture of, uh, what's the word, craziness, lack of seriousness in promotions and having fun with sport that is very, it's very not Australian. So we're very very serious about our sport in Australia. So, um, we, you know, sometimes we have our, our fun things on the side, but um, when people try to start things that are a bit, you know, fun or a bit crazy here, people would sort of talk them down as being, oh, that's a bit, that's too American for us. We're turning into America as though it's, you know, <laughs> it's, as, as though it's the worst thing in the world, even though we have a very, right, we have a very European-centric way of, of doing things, so, uh, or even English, because that's our heritage, but, um when I, when I hear about obviously uh, baseball, and I, I'm, I'm a Dodgers fan, um, I, I'm just I'm fascinated by how they get you know the amount of people they get into their stadium for 80 games a year. That's uh, I find that incredibly fascinating. You know, obviously all the different promotions and the giveaways and the theme nights and all that sort of stuff that uh, that they do, and it's they do try some of that sort of stuff in Australia. It, it's it's hard to know whether it has the same effect. Um, but minor league baseball for me is, is what the is what yeah drew me into the sport. Um, this is just you know real local people um, with real local connection as well. Um, so it wasn't trying to be you know big market all this sort of stuff. It's just having having a lot of fun, just trying to keep uh, the team at the front of people's minds, which is you know uh, really effective marketing. Um, and from now, you know, obviously, I'm obsessed with you know things like Jesse Cole and Savannah uh, Bananas or Bananas. Yeah, Jesse. As you guys would say I'm just obsessed with all of that. So I'm just um, I, I find that to be a just in terms of what I want out of sport. I want I want I want the sport, but I also want I also want to have a smile on my face. I want to have a, a few laughs with friends, um, and that really you know fits with my uh, my personal I guess uh, ethos. I guess. No, that's I mean that's interesting. So why would you say that the Australian Baseball League struggled? Uh, look, it's 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 starting to pick up now. Um, it the the latest version of the the Australian Baseball League because it has sort of gone uh, under a couple of times. It was uh, started in by in conjunction with Baseball Australia and uh, Major League Baseball, uh, who held I think it was a seventy percent or seventy five percent ownership stake or thereabout. Um, similar to a lot of things that happen when uh, Americans come to Australia, they sort of. They, they think that what's going to happen is work in, in uh, America is going to work in Australia. So, for instance, Starbucks, uh, you know, tried here and they they went, you know, well for a period, but they've actually pulled out most of their stores because they couldn't make any money. Uh, they just didn't underestimate, I think, the uh, Australian taste for coffee, uh, which is, you know, known to be around the world as being one of the best. I don't drink coffee personally, but uh, <laughs> this is the uh, this is the narrative anyway. Um, so you're telling me a that couple of things Australian like that coffee well, and, uh, is the best in the world? That's what people say. I, I, I'm not a coffee drinker myself. This I, I is think something it's that I'm but. glad you brought this up. This is one of my things that I love. It's, it's fan- Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, uh, yes, people people found that Starbucks uh, wasn't wasn't uh, good enough for their taste, so they've uh, that's why Starbucks had to leave. Or, or you know, they're running a, a much more uh, basic operation than what they used to. Um, and I think what happened when when uh, when Major League Baseball made it happen there's a lot of american guys they brought over uh, and ticket sales group sales all that sort of stuff um and i think that maybe and I, I wasn't around for this but this period but my feeling is that because i didn't have the local connection they were coming from a different country um trying to sell a uh, a sport that people think of as, as american which is actually has a, a ne- say negative stigma um 
compared to, let's say, having an Australian brand of baseball mm-hmm. or Australian experience, much like Japan has a Japanese experience or, or whatnot. I have a feeling that maybe that had uh, that caused, uh, yeah, just it just led to it being fairly ineffective in terms of ticket sales. So um, there's plenty of other options, uh, any, plenty of other reasons, I should say, behind that. But um, we now have a, a lot of private owners uh, within for each franchise of the ABL, and I think they're going to get that right, actually. I think a few of them are doing pretty well at it. Some of them are actually going down the, the heavy American route of saying, uh, or route, uh, as you guys might say, it, of, of, <laughs> of, of saying this is this is a really authentic American experience, or some of them are saying, you know, this is just a unique um, experience. And you, you can have a hot dog if you want, but otherwise uh, we're here to celebrate uh, our Australian form of baseball. So... Um, I've been. This is one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm most curious about: is how how to how can Australian baseball become a um, a really successful part of the Australian landscape, rather than being um, you know sort of a twelfth, thirteenth level in popularity of sports in in the country. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, because I, I grew up on baseball. I went to the baseball game. Uh, I've been to more baseball games this year than I've been to in a few years, and I think that you know I know Jesse. Jesse's uh, fantastic. Um, but there's a, there does the minor league baseball has a sense of fun and levity that is kind of unmatched in most sports. Um, you know, yeah, I think so, levity is a good word. Yep. Yeah, I, I try to use the the fifty cent words once a day. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I took my son to the um, to see the Durham Bulls play the Indianapolis Indians in uh, in Durham um, on what's become a annual trek to Durham. And it was Marvel night. So, like, all the guys are, like, dressed up with Marvel uh, tops on, right, jerseys. And, you know, there's superheroes all around. And there's, like, um, you know, in the gift shop, you can buy bobbleheads of, like, the guys or superheroes dressed up as Durham Bulls players. All these, like, crazy great things that are appealing to people. They make it a little bit more fun. They make it, you know, just a little bit more of a show to use Jesse's term. Right. And I think, yeah. I think that's a lesson that's not just, that's not just American. Right. I think that's just a, it should be a lesson that is used for people no matter what sport or what country they're dealing with. Because the truth is, is that it's not an American thing that people's tastes are changing. It's a change in taste and consumption habits around the world that's been driven by technology. And the idea that we ha- all have access to the greatest entertainment ever created at our fingertips in most cases because most of us have smartphones. And so I yep. think that we have to just recognize that the world we exist in, uh, you know, somebody might be a purist, right? I love um, the Premier League. And I yep. love a little bit about the Premier League because it is so um, traditional in the way that a yep. lot of it goes about. And I like that. But at the same time, I love minor league baseball because it does, it, you know, like I will use the word again, levity, right? There's like a certain, not, there's a lack of seriousness or self seriousness about it. And, yeah. and I think that's great, right? There's, you know, and I think you just have to recognize where you, who you are, what you are, what the value is that you create and be willing to like go all in on it, right? And be willing to try things, fail and adjust, right? Because I, Absolutely. I think yep. that like the, the key here that I've heard from you and that is probably the lesson that I will try to impart when I come to Australia is that like change isn't like something you can negotiate over. Change just happens whether or not you want it to or not. Yeah. The only thing you can do about change is you can be understand that it's going to happen and you can have a plan for how you're going to take advantage of change. Because I Absolutely. think that's the like you know that's the key is like you have to be willing to take advantage of the change that's happening in the world. And, I, Absolutely. You know, and so like you're talking about baseball like that that's really great. And I don't even want to and I, I don't want to step on the toes of that part of it, but I do want to ask you about some brands because I know that you love brands and you love your sports brands. So I want to pop quiz you and tell me who are the three best like branded teams in in Australia from your point of view right now. So let's say logos or you know sports logos and that sort of stuff. Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. Like the stuff you put on your website, which I should say is bennewton.com.au. Yeah, let me plug, let me time, plug but, uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's been a long time since I've updated that one, but um, I did yeah I did a, a, a sort of like an AFL, which is Australian Australian rules football uh, logo countdown of sort of where I've ranked them. But I don't know the, my actual my favorite 
My favourite uh, sports brands are, are generally baseball ones. As I said, the levity side of it uh, just gets me going. Um, well, what are your three favourite, also, I guess, anywhere in the world? I don't want to limit you. But and obviously, I'll, uh, yeah. I'll, give you my th- I'll give you my three. I'll, 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 I'll play right, fair. Yeah, okay, go for it. You go for it. You three, you first. All right, all right me first. <laughs> it's my podcast. Um, I get to choose to go last. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we all love the timelessness of the New York Yankees. Uh, cap logo. I think that's uh, that to me is is something that transcends sport. It's uh, it's it's that good. Um, the LA Dodgers one is, is is on a similar sort of uh, wavelength, but I'll keep that out of my three. Um, oh, there's there's been a couple that have just been absolute doozies from the miners, um, and they're generally the um, like the Staten Island Pizza Rats. Oh yeah, the Pizza Rats. Yeah, the Staten Island Yankees. That's right. Oh, that was that was fantastic. Um, Oh, there's been a few. Uh, the there's been a few by Brandy. So I'm just trying to think of all the, the, the ones I've seen. Like the, some of the ones that, that get me going. Uh, there's like the is it uh, the the cross cutters? Are they Williamsport cross cutters or something like that? Um, which is a guy in like a like a lumberjack and a lumberjack plaid shirt, uh, which is this beard, and it's just got like you know this massive two man saw behind it. I just love that stuff. Um, the the uh, Asheville tourists. Uh, they got the the Moon Man. So this guy who's he's a he's got a moon for a head uh, and a regular body, just with a with a bat with a knapsack under it. Um, just all those little details. I just love that. No, so that's probably that's that's four. Yeah, but, uh, no, that, that, I, I'll I, take I could go on for days. I could go for days. I'll take I'll take those. Right, I'm gonna, I'll give you my three favorite right now, and I'll tell you why. Um, the number one I, lo- I, I really love, uh, and he was on the podcast recently as Ali Shoyer, uh, but I love the Port Adelaide power. Uh, like, okay, like, yep, yep. The lightning bolt in the hand is awesome. Um, I, I do, a lot of symbology in that logo. Yeah. A lot of symbology. Yeah. yeah. And it, like, it, 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 it reflects history. It's historical, but it really reflect. It looks modern at the same time. And yeah. I, I really like the clean, modern stuff. Um, even though the Yankees, the Yankees one's great. And I would throw the Red Sox in there as well. That B is like really, yeah. really, or the C of the Cubs. You know, the, yeah. those really, really stand out. Um, the, the second one I would point to would be the Miami Heat. Um, I think that yep. the Miami Heat do such a great job with using their logo um, for merchandise and for promoting the team and kind of creating an identity. I think that they do a fantastic job. Uh, and then the third one is of course, my favorite football team, the Tottenham Hotspurs. Uh, yep. That, you know, that, that crest is, is just fantastic. It's like classic. It's clean. It's classy. It's, um, you know, it, to me, and I'm completely saying this because I, I follow them. It re- represents English football to me or European football yep. or world football, yep. uh, whatever you would like to call it. it it's great. Um, I mean, but I, the list could go on and on. I mean, there's, um, I love the, you know, the, some of the stuff that's like around, I was just in Atlanta and some of the older stuff that they've done, they did with the Atlanta Braves logos. I mean, those were, those were really cool. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, obviously I love the clean, the classicness of the Alabama Crimson Tide. I mean, you know, Obviously, I went there. Um, <laughs> a little bit biased. Uh, yeah, of That's course. Good. I mean, I'm completely biased. Don't don't let me kid you at all. I mean, the Lakers is is cla- a classic. Um, you know, you can't or the Celtics, right? You can't go wrong with there with those. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, in hockey, the Red Wings is you know it has to be is iconic. Uh, the Rangers. Um, you know, I mean, there's like so many, so much cool work, right? And it's it's um, true. And the thing is, is like it, it really is. Um, the only comment I'll make about some of the logos is that like, if you don't do something unique where that, that symbolizes this, where you stand out and like people can identify you from around the world, it's a missed opportunity because these, some of these symbols are some, you know, the most easily recognizable and most well-recognized symbols all over the world. So to miss that opportunity is a real, um, it's, it's a real missed opportunity to, and do, you know, and do you know what's interesting is that uh, the, the the logos that I mentioned, uh, none of those teams are, are teams that I support. So it's funny that the the teams that I support, um, I support Buffalo Bills, okay. uh, <laughs> the, the St. Kilda Saints, the LA Dodgers, the uh, the Newcastle Knights in the Rugby League. That's where I'm from as a kid. Um, probably there's only I mean, the Buffalo Bills one's an okay one. I think the, the old ones are better, but... LA Dodgers is probably the only one that I really think is a really fantastic logo. So it's 
you know, it's not just the logo for why we go for a team. Obviously, there's just so many reasons why we we would support a team and um, and get behind one um, that uh, that that can be, as I said, leveraged. Um, and uh, and actually, I think it's fantastic. Like, obviously, there's there's experiences you have as a child. Uh, there's the experience you have as, as an adult. Um, I've only started going for an AFL team about 10 years ago, even though I'm, I'm, I'm in Victoria. Um, but it's oftentimes it's the, it's the experience of, uh, of watching these athletes going about it in a particular way that, that draws you in. So there's, there's so many ways that you can become a sports fan. It's quite different to any other product, which I find, yeah, really fascinating. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, you might go for it, start going for a team when they when they're going terribly. Um, whereas I can't imagine you start you know liking Apple when you bought a MacBook Pro and it and it crashes on you five times a day or something like that. It just wouldn't. It's just it's just completely different. Right. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I love sport. Well, and the thing is, is if you play the you know, and this goes, this really highlights the emotional connection, which is something that and the, the story, right? Which are two things that we can never forget when we're marketing and selling sport. Is that Absolutely. you need to tell the story and that the people aren't buying necessarily logically. They're buying based on emotion. And if you do your job correctly, every hint of your brand and your team and the things you do will trigger an impulse and an emotional uh, a wave inside the person you're trying to connect with that will last a lifetime. And that's what yeah, the, and that's what these logos symbolize. Uh, even you know, if I talk about the baseball team, I support the Mets. <laughs> great logo, yeah, love yeah. Lo- love the Mets colors. Great, a great, great logo, but not always not haven't always been the best team. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> one of my best friends here is a Mets fan as well. We often give him stick about it. So yeah, well, uh, give you probably can give me stick too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Ben, man, uh, this this is great. Where do people find you on the internet? Uh, generally, I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at the Ben Newton. Um, it's, uh, there's uh, my website bennewton.com.au. Um, obviously, on LinkedIn as well, so everyone can uh, ask me questions about whatever, and I'm happy to answer. Yeah, no, it was great, and um, you know, hopefully, people will check you out. They'll go check out your power rankings of AFL logos. Um, <laughs> if, if if they want, I think there's been a few new ones since then, but um, but well, absolutely, yeah, we'd well, love to chat about it. And there's also the great thing there's a, where you did a two part series about the baseball, the creation of the baseball team is there, and there, there's some like really great stuff there. So I would tell, even though you don't update it as as often maybe as I do mine, there's some great stuff there that I think people could learn from it. And I hope people uh, they reach out and connect with you. That'd be great. Well, there it was my conversation with Ben Newton from the Melbourne Racing Club. If you like what I'm doing on the podcast, you'll love my newsletter, The Business of Value, where every Sunday I send you a note directly from me to you to talk about how you can create more value in your business, in your organization. You can get that newsletter by sending me an email at my name, dave at davewakeman.com. Put newsletter in the subject line. Also, if you want to find out what I'm up to, lots of stuff coming. I know I've been promising this, but now I'm finally having to do it. Um, Visit my website. It's www.davewakeman.com, where I'm adding a calendar feature. Um, If my tech department ever gets it pulled together completely, which most of the time that means I got to get it pulled together because I'm the holdup here. Um, where I'm going to talk about some of the stuff I'm going to do in Australia. There is, besides the Ticketing Professionals Conference, but there's another event or two that are coming up that I'll be announcing over the next week or two. So visit www.davewakeman.com where you can find out um, what I'm up to. You can find my blog. You can find um, all kinds of great and entertaining and interesting things that will help you uh, market and sell your your tickets, your businesses, um, your events more effectively. As always... I'd love it if you connect with me. You follow me on Twitter. I'm at David Wakeman. So as I've been saying now for I think this is the 78th episode of the podcast, if you know the guy that has the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, please have him give it to me. It'd be great. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search my name, Dave Wakeman. You'll see me at the Revenue Architect right there. Uh, I also want to remind you that if you love the podcast, maybe you would want to become a subscriber. We're on iTunes. We're on Pocket Cast. I saw we're on Luminary now. We're on all the major podcast platforms. You can subscribe. If you are really digging something, 
I'd love it if you share it with a colleague, a friend, someone you think might benefit from one of these conversations I'm having. And if you're so inclined, I'd love it if you'd leave a review. All these things add up. They help people find the podcast, and it's a really great way to make sure that I continue to be encouraged to deliver great content like this. As always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect, the greatest partners that anybody could ask for. Um, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com to find out how you and your organization can deliver world-class customer service to your, your buyers in the case of needing a refund, how you and your organization can create a new stream of revenue, and how you can connect with me and Simon Mab in Australia at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Sydney on the 14th and 15th of November. You can get tickets, both Simon and I will be there, by visiting the conference's webpage at www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. As I've said at the beginning of the podcast, I'll say it again, if you buy your ticket, send me a copy of your receipt or your confirmation to my email address. It's dave at davewakeman.com, and I will do something special for you. I don't know what it is. Um, it depends on how many people from your organization are coming or how big your team is or just what kind of mood I'm in. Um, the bigger, the happier, um, the more excited I am, the more exciting the free gift I'm going to give to you is going to be. It could be a coaching call. It could be a webinar. It could be, uh, I don't know, it could be anything. Uh, who knows? I'm, 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 I go crazy sometimes with these things. But make sure you get your tickets to see me and Simon in Australia on the 14th and 15th of November by going to www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. And before I forget, make sure while you're at the Booking Protect website, looking at how you're going to connect with me and Simon in Australia or how you're going to partner with Booking Protect to check out our 10-part series on trends that are impacting the live entertainment and live event industry. Uh, each one of them is going to provide an overview of the challenge the, that organizations may be facing or a trend that's going to impact you over the near and long term. And some way, some questions you can ask your organization, some actions you can take to mitigate those challenges. So you'll find that at www.bookingprotect.com uh, and look for the blog. It's all there. They're going to be coming out over the next two or three weeks. Um, they're coming out about one or two a week. So check those out. These trends are going to be extremely helpful. They're things that you really need to pay attention to. Uh, and it's a great way to learn about all these things that could be possibly standing in your way. Um, and finally, thanks for listening. And I'll see you again soon. Take it easy.